Welcome to Don't Feed the Trolls, where we patrol without the troll. We just pat. We just pat people. Yeah. Matt, you've been really vocal on Facebook lately about police, cops, uh, law enforcement. Right. And sometimes... I get in trouble. I mean, it's in yeah, the news a know. lot. It's all over social media. Everyone's sharing me these videos, and everyone's filming and sharing, and it depicts cops in a bad light. And I know I have friends who are police. I know they are good people. I want, the, I want to be able to talk about the bad encounters without offending the good cops. And it seems like it's really, really hard. And that's why I wanted to do this episode because I've been outraged at what looks to me like police brutality, but I don't know. There's context. There's other things we have to talk about. It's easy to have a Twitter account, see some videos and post, dang these right. cops and not know anything and what it's like to actually be a police yeah. officer, be a cop. And uh, I have, you know, my, my cousins actually pretty high up and we can't say which law agency he's a part of. It's a big one. But it's pretty big, and he's pretty high up there. I think he only has, like, four bosses. So for all of you armchair social justice warriors, and that's myself included. Social justice warrior, I like that. (laughs) We've, uh, criminal justice lawyers, we've put together an interview. Couch justice lawyers. Yeah, armchair, armchair warriors, lawyers. (laughs) Love it. We put together an interview with Todd, Nate's cousin, correct? Yeah, yeah, my cousin. Who uh, who is truly a hero and a great guy and has some critical things to say about uh, police and the job as much as some really enlightening, eye-opening uh, ways that we can empathize with um, police and what they do. So without further ado... Yeah, I'll just jump in. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Todd. You're my cousin, and uh, for privacy reasons, if you I didn't guess, know, you're his cousin. Thank you. I wasn't <laughs> sure, but now I know. That's for the like ten thousand people who are listening to this show. Right now. <laughs> my cousin, who's a part of a large law enforcement agency in California, and we won't say which one, just to protect us from saying dumb stuff more than you from saying dumb stuff. But um, just keep well, it generic. We'll just keep it real generic. Todd does things. For people. <laughs> but, but public service runs in our family. Uh, four generations of firefighters in, in California. Our great-grandfather died in a fire in downtown Sacramento, saving his friend and fellow firefighter. Sad wow. story. Wow. Yeah. You're from so, heroic material, Nate. Yeah. I would have never pegged you for it. Well, I mean, I'm not. no offense. I don't do anything. I'm, <laughs> I just talk about stuff and write. You write that impressive that. beard. <laughs> Very impressive. Yeah. Very heroic, I might add. The beard. And uh, our, our grandfather kind of chased his father's legacy and became chief, right? Yeah. And so long history. And and Todd, I remember you were going through the the academy, and I was in the room next door while you were going through that, stealing your CDs and. <laughs> So I've been with an acoustic guitar. Yeah. So I so we we've been there from the beginning of each other's careers. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So Todd, thanks for thanks for spending some time uh, with us on this podcast. I don't know if you've heard any episodes, but generally we're about like we're not about you know social issues as much as we are about just trying to have a balanced and fair discussion about things because things tend to get out of control. I think a lot on social media, especially in the news media these days. Um, and one of the topics is people have been blowing up with the topic of law enforcement. A lot of people have been having questions or 
um, at the least having questions, at the most having very strong opinions about um, kind of the arrest procedures, due process, incident ex- escalation, uh, brutality, or race bias. And rather than just watch body cam videos on YouTube and speculate, we wanted to get someone with a badge who could weigh in and give us some perspective. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're thankful that you would, uh, you would do so. Uh, first off, right off the top, what do you think, I mean, you've probably seen a lot of, you know, people's opinion and, and, and stuff going around on, on social media. I don't know if you're on it. Um, do, are you on social media? Are, do you have a Facebook? And I do. I don't have a Facebook account. So, um, the only platforms I use are Twitter and, uh, Instagram. Man, Facebook's the worst. I've, Probably if I was uh, an officer of the law, I would not be on Facebook. <laughs> you get fired if you have a Facebook. I pretty, I pretty no, much. No, no. My friends. I think that's in the Geneva Convention that you can't have. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's against the law, man. Um, but what do you think? I mean, not, not to hit you with a heavy one right off the top, but what do you think the biggest misconception that you feel the public has about your job or people in the role of uh, law enforcement? Well, that's you know I think that's a complex and dynamic question because it really just depends on who you're talking to uh, in the community. Um, I think that perception just can vary uh, very widely uh, depending on who it is. But uh, you know, I, there seems to be kind of this momentum, um, and I don't know what you know is actually initiated the drive, whether it's events or the media or a combination of both, but. Uh, there's this perception that there's this um, overuse of force or um, excessive force mm-hmm. and it's used on a regular basis, which just isn't the case. Um, you know, nationally, less than 1% of all contacts um, result in some type of use of force nationwide with police agencies. So, I mean, right. I, I think it's a lot lower than people think. Uh, the other component, too, is that um, sometimes – people's perception, especially when they see use of force uh, in the media, especially when it's a video, is it's disturbing. And I would agree with that 100%. It is always disturbing to watch. Problem is sometimes it's misconstrued as being excessive because the totality of the circumstances or the incident is taken out of context. And so I think that can be somewhat misleading. Does that mean that there's not cases where there's excessive force? Absolutely, there is. How do you respond to that? Do you think that people overall are overreacting to videos that they see online just because of the brutal nature of them? Do you think it's not an issue? Do you think there is an issue where police have been known, maybe in some departments more than others, to be a little bit more violent than they need to be? Oh, yeah. I think without a doubt, I think that, you know, there's there's no question that anytime you interject human beings into, you know, that situation, you're going to have people that abuse that power without a doubt. I right. mean, I, I don't think there's any way to escape that. And those people need to be identified and, you know, dealt with appropriately. I, you know, I, the, the tough thing is, is one incident – uh, taints all law enforcement because that, you know, somehow becomes the perception of all law enforcement. Right. Um, but, you know, you got to remember too that, um, you know, America is very diverse and its police forces across the nation are very diverse. 
And what is happening in one part of the country is not necessarily representative of police agencies across the country. Right. I guess we can go all the way back to the beginning. Do you feel who gets in and who gets trained and who gets screened through this is like one of the hardest things to get through or is it pretty easy to get hired? Well, that's completely relative to where you are in the agency you're working for. Obviously, the standards in certain states are much uh, lower than other states, um, and it just it just kind of depends, right? And so, you know, kind of depends on where you are. You know, obviously, I can only uh, you know kind of reflect on California in general, but you know, I've interacted with agencies across the nation, and um, there are these remnants of this war on drug, which happens to be centered in certain neighborhoods that are disproportionately uh, one race. And there is, there's, you know, this approach to, you know, very low tolerance, uh, high impact policing um, in certain neighborhoods that can be sometimes perceived as um, unfair or uh, inappropriate. I remember you a couple of times telling me like there was times when uh, you were saying you would pull over people without licenses. And, and I remember specifically you saying you knew that if you took this guy's wheels away, you would screw him because he's just trying to get to work. It kind of felt like you have some discretion, some power of discretion, right? Sometimes you're like, this guy can go because if I take away his license or if I pull him over, he's it's going to cause his life to be even worse and then more problems and more problems. So can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, yeah, obviously you have discretion. And I think that, you know, for the most part, the public wants police officers to have discretion. Um, and the intent is is to make the community better. And so I think you have to kind of balance that when you're taking enforcement action. Am I making this better or am I making this worse? But also at the same time, um, there can be uh, kind of like an overriding mission through a a department itself saying, hey, this neighborhood is high crime. We're going to take a zero tolerance approach. Right. And all of a sudden that discretion uh, starts to diminish. And, you know, the officers are making decisions based on the overall desire of a of a department when I think that sometimes can be dangerous. And it can be effective. I mean, obviously, when they crack down on crime and crime goes away, then people go, hey, now the streets are safer. But meanwhile, the the prisons are are filled up, and there's a whole you know there's there's a different issue <laughs> at that point. Yeah, and also too, I, I mean, arrest is not always the best answer to those problems. Right. Um, that's the simple answer, and I don't always agree that that's the best answer. And the it has to be evaluated. It can't be going this ongoing war with a community, right? I mean, right. in the end. If we are not working collaboratively with that that community, we're going to be completely ineffective. And all it is is we're perceived as an occupying army. Right. I don't think that's I don't think that's an effective way to police a police community. Right. So you're saying trust is kind of like that's the thing that that you build a safe community around, not necessarily enforcing the law. When we were talking, you know, the last couple of times, it just felt like there was more of a letter of the law, which I never, ever thought was even possible for for law enforcement. I thought, if you don't do something right, you're in trouble no matter what. Do you have any stories of maybe when you saw a potentially dangerous situation and de-escalated it in a way that was effective? Do you have any of those, like, off the top of your head where you're like, uh-oh, this could go bad and uh, did something uh, clever? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's something clever. Uh, yeah, I don't know about clever. Um, obviously, that would make for a better story. But yeah, I think de-escalation is, you know, one of the most valuable tools that we have. Um, and, you know, we kind of discuss it and train it quite a bit because obviously everybody's trying to avoid any kind of violent confrontation. And, you know, I remember when I was a young officer in training, um, you know, my training officer said, hey, your mouth will get you out of so many more problems than a gun will. Right. Uh, and I couldn't agree with it more. Hmm. You know, I think that you kind of learn the ability to have, you know, good dialect with people. And, and I think that's the key to being able to de-escalate situations. Do they do they go through any of those, like, psychological, you know, lines or anything like that when you're in the academy? Do they teach you how to talk your way out of a situation? Yeah, they do. Um, I don't know about, you know, maybe talking your way out of the situation as much as, you know, using tone and inflection and, um, you know, being able to, you know, reverse the momentum of a conversation to try and get people to willingly be compliant. And I think that the more experience you have, the better you come at that. But I mean, um, I have, you know, a lot of experiences where, I would have been 100% justified using force, maybe even deadly force. Right. And, you know, you we didn't. were able to get out of the situation by hmm. by talking them out of it, right? And kind of, you know, putting enough time between, you know, them being in crisis and not to, to, to get them to, you know, comply voluntarily. Right. And I think that's always perceived as, you know, the biggest win you can have. Yeah, and unfortunately, that probably happens more often than not. But the fact of the matter is, those videos don't get shared. They're not nearly. Well, as... no, they do. They do. I've seen so many good videos where cops are like giving kids popsicles or hanging well, out. Well, come on. I mean, that, like the that. popsicle thing is that's a little excessive, I think, as far as like cops doing their job well, giving a popsicle to someone. But no one shares like like a like a police officer like talking someone down from like a violent. You know, yeah. I, I don't see those. Videos. I'm just saying, me personally, I don't see them on Facebook. On the inside, what does everyone think about what's going on? Are you guys trying to? Are you just saying, man, and everyone's crazy, or they have some reason to riot, or what? what how, what's the vibe on the inside? You know, I mean, obviously, it's again, it's all relative to where you are. Uh, here, we, the the public is very supportive of us, and maybe that's just reflective of the relationship we've developed with our communities. Um, but I definitely don't feel that. I mean, are there, you know, protests and, you know, do we get uh, some of that backlash uh, regarding, you know, alleged police brutality and stuff like that? Absolutely. Uh, but overall, uh, it's weird. The community has gone out of their way to tell us how much they appreciate what we do and respect what we do. I think some officers probably, have, you know, started to question kind of like, man, you know, why am I doing this? You know, officer assaults are up quite a bit this year. Right. Um, and, you know, we've had a lot of officers where their family has just said, hey, I don't think this is worth it. Um, and they've taken positions where, you know, they're not going to have to be out in the public, which is, is frustrating because the vast majority of these people are doing it because they care about these communities. Right. And, uh, they want to be engaged. And I think that it has a negative, you know, sometimes a, a you know, a negative. So you're taking the good guys off the street and then you have to replace them with somebody else who might not be as qualified, but there's just supply and demand kind of thing. So like the negative is actually hurting the public. You know, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't think that it's at the point where it's alarming, but I think that people are, 
you know, kind of questioning what they're doing, uh, right. right? Because it's a difficult job. Period. I couldn't. Do, I couldn't do the job. I, you I have tell to you. have public support, otherwise, it's just it's too much to bear. If I write you out a ticket, then you better drive slow. I'm just doing my job on the highway patrol. I'm the highway patrol, the highway patrol. My hours are long and my pay is low. But I'll do my best to keep you driving slow. I'm just doing my job on the highway patrol. There seems to be a duality or a dualistic mindset that can encroach upon police within a department. That is to say, there is good guys and bad guys. And there is us, and there is them. And I think what happens is the public, as, as a general public, we're also dualistic. So when we start demonizing police, it's easy for us to broad brush. And I say us, metaphorically speaking, I don't. I don't think that I do this, but to say, oh, p- policing in America is terrible. It's bad. And I think we have to learn to separate the fact that like you can be critical of, of a police officer who makes an error. That is okay. And you can support your police department. And actually both of those things, when you hold both at the same time, when you hold errors accountable, and you you still support and still stand behind the good public servants in your in your neighborhood, then you can really see change. I feel like I couldn't agree with that more. I I think that that is the key. Right? Is um, everything needs to be balanced in life in general, um, and you know I think that applies to the perception um, of law enforcement as well. Is that yes, you can you can do both. You can realize that. Law enforcement is a necessary component of a free society, mm-hmm. um, but you can yeah. also realize that it is not perfect and that much like everything else, it should be continuously evolving and improving. And so is there room for growth? 100%. Um, is there things that are not being done correctly? Absolutely. Um, can we work to fix those things? Absolutely. But you're right. You can't just say it's it's either this or that. Right. And it's somewhere in the middle, and I think that you know a good citizen realizes, yes, most law enforcement probably are there to help me. Are there some bad ones? Yes. Did we need some change? Um, yes. Um, but can we still support law enforcement and then focus on those changes simultaneously? And I think that's the key to success. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, when people go on ride-alongs, they get that experience? Oh, without a doubt. It's... Um, it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know um, until you've, you know, been a police officer um, out on the streets. It's it's hard to understand it, you know, because your perspective is totally derived from probably watching cops or cop TV shows. Right. And the reality is completely different, you know, in a busy, big, um, you know, city area. Uh, these officers, you know, they'll go anywhere from ten to twenty calls a night, and. They're contacting people in crisis constantly, um, right. and yeah. people that have been shot or stabbed or are going through family disturbances or have lost a child or whatever, and you know, literally, they you know are exposed to all that throughout a night, and then they come back and do it the next day, and yeah. 
being able to balance that is is very difficult, I think. And so that's when I spoke earlier about, you know, they need to believe that the community believes in them and trusts them. Um, because if they don't have that, that means they have to burden that responsibility all themselves. Right. Within that mentality, so you're an officer and every night you're dealing with the crisis of the community and you carry this burden almost with you. Like, do you think that they they could even be in a place to accept scrutiny for practices or policies when even if it's warranted, it has to feel like an attack, you know, because of how much an officer goes through, you know, to sacrifice for, for the community. Yeah. I think that they are open to it. You know, it's like anything else, everything is constantly evolving. We're either getting better or we're getting worse. And and they know that just like any other profession, and so um, I think that they do want to improve. I think the tough thing is is when there's these blanket statements uh, yeah. that, are, that all police are bad or, mm-hmm. you know, police want to, you know, commit violent acts against the community. And, right. I mean, it's just these are, you know, these are your neighbors. These are your friends. These are your family members. Nobody, trust me, no officer wants to go through that. I mean, it is – it is just brutal, and a lot of officers have very difficult time coming back, especially if they've been involved in some kind of officer-involved shooting. I mean, that is an extremely traumatic event. Yeah. We've had a lot of officers who just can't come back, right? The thought of having to do that, whether it's justified, uh, doesn't really make that much of a relevant difference. Right, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine. Do you have like a psychological program you have to go through to evaluate after you have that Happened? Yeah, of course. There's a, a protocol for that. And, you know, obviously you have a set number of uh, interviews with a psychologist to determine your, you know, your your mental health state. And, um, and it's complex, right? And it takes a while, you know, to deal with it after the fact. And it takes several years for people to kind of to be able to work through that. And then on top of that, uh, if there's a lot of media scrutiny on that, that's pounded on your family and your kids. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot of officers that, you know, will go out of their way to avoid that um, at any cost sometimes. So if anything, it could make it less safe because officers are afraid to take action when it is their job to take action because they don't want the ramifications. So... You know, there's a situation where the officer needs to act and do something, but maybe he thinks twice because he doesn't, he knows the windstorm of what happened to his buddy that went through that, right? right. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm sure that that is something that weighs on officers' minds. I mean, when you watch the media scrutiny of these officers, whether the, it was justified or not, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure there. And you, it would be naive to say that, no, they don't think about that and it doesn't affect their decision-making process out there. But, you know, I truly believe that their training um, is going to kick in and they're going to do what's right. It's just, um, you know, does it potentially make for an unsafer environment for the public or the officer? Perhaps. Mm. Mm. So Mm. of the videos that have been most, I guess, or incidents, I could say, that that have been most um, scrutinized by the media and the public, that have been recorded and shared. Do you watch those? Have you seen those or? Yeah, no, I do. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. So I worked internal affairs for a couple years and, um, I reviewed a lot of videos mm-hmm. and based on, you know, complaints or whatever. And the problem with the video is, um, it is 
one-fifth of the equation. Right. And there's so much information that you need at the front, in the back, in the middle. Uh, there was times where I'd watch a video and I'd be like, oh, that doesn't look good. Right. But then you'd see the reports and you'd talk to witnesses and you'd get other angles and it just changed the entire dynamic. So uh, some of these police huh. shootings, yeah, they're shocking to me. And it's hard for me to imagine that there is much justification for them. Some of the other ones, though, I've seen, I've thought, okay, there might be more to this story. Right. And the fact is, is um, some of these circumstances are so extreme that it's almost inevitable that if you have some kind of violent encounter with the police, that you have to anticipate you may end up in a shooting with them i right. mean it's some of them are shocking to me that it's it's like we've forgotten what the actions were of the individual towards yeah. the police officer before the shooting right um and so i think that that's it it's just like anything else it has to be a balanced review and it can't be this immediate knee-jerk reaction to well we saw this video so it must be all bad right because then like you have cases where there's no prosecution because once all the facts come out they realize Yes, it was a justified shooting. It just sure. didn't look good on the video. And then the public perceives it as, well, the justice system isn't working, and it does more damage than good. As you know, someone on the inside, when do you say, or what situations recently do you think were didn't go down the way they should have gone down? Like, this was bad. Police should have been in trouble here, but they got off scot-free. Right. Um, and I think there's a misnomer there. It, I'm not going to say that doesn't occur somewhere in the United States. I, I, I believe it does. Um, I personally have not experienced that. If anything, I've experienced the opposite where the department as a whole and policing as a whole, trust is everything. That's that's the one tool that we have to maintain. If we lose that, we're done. We're completely ineffective. And so I think that most departments recognize that and they want to hold their people accountable. And if there is proof of misconduct, um, you're going to be disciplined or terminated. Right. Um, and I don't think anybody questions that because, you know, 99% of the cops are going to look at it and go, yeah, you can't do that. I want you fired because you're putting me in a bad situation. Right. Okay. Uh, and nobody's like, oh, well, that's unfair. You know, we should just be able to do what we want. I think that's a complete misconception. Now, does that happen somewhere in the United States in another agency? I I'm not gonna say it doesn't. Well, just recently, you know, I got in trouble on my Facebook page because the police. Uh, I always get in trouble on my Facebook page. By the way, that's the thing I do. <laughs> I say things and then get in trouble and then get in uh, <clears throat> days long arguments in the comment section. Just stay away from Facebook. You don't need it. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how we started this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we needed an escape from the comment section. But, uh, but like recently, you know, there was the officer who was, um, you know, a high school officer. He, he went into a classroom. There was a, a, a young girl who had been on her phone. The, um, the teacher said, give me the phone. She wouldn't give her the phone. She put the phone away. The officer came in and said, give me the phone. She wouldn't give him the phone. He said, get up. You're coming with me. She wouldn't move. You know, we see on the video, he like grabs her by the neck and like slams her down. And like, so everyone's just, what? Why would you like, what, what can you say to that? Like there are legal precedent to like how much force can be used actually within the law. Uh, police are allowed to, in cer certain circumstances, use force, even if they're not, uh, they don't feel uh, threatened. Yeah, no, you're you're right. It uh, Graham versus Connor is kind of the overriding 
mm-hmm. uh, Supreme Court um, case law regarding use of force. The key is reasonableness. Um, obviously, if I have a lawful you know, purpose for telling you to do something, whatever that is, then, you know, I can use a reasonable amount of force to get you to comply to do it. Right. But I think you, you said it perfectly when you said it just, it doesn't look right. It's, it seems extremely excessive. And so could he argue that in a courtroom that, Hey, um, obviously I could remove it and she was non-compliant and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, absolutely. But nobody's buying it. I think it, yeah. It's you know, it's an example that man, that's just poor decision making from the top to the bottom because you're right, there's probably a hundred other ways to resolve that where yeah. you don't have to make it a violent confrontation. And you're right, every cop that I know that sees videos like that is like, Great. Now I'm going to be lumped in with that dude. Right. Everyone's right. watched Making a Murder. Have you seen Making a Murder? No. You haven't was talking about it to me like at Christmas. I wonder how much of, sorry, Nate, I wonder how much of making the murderer has fed in to the narrative that police are trying to like frame people and are bad guys. I just wonder. Yeah, there's a small town agency in <laughs> Minnesota or whatever, and they, they kind of screwed this poor guy over. And I don't know, it kind of reminds me of the football team. There's guys that like come together, but then there's like these bro mentality, like these dudes that are just like bros and they just want to smash skulls and beat the shit out of people. And I'm like, I, those guys ruined it for everybody else. Cause I'm like, okay, it's just a game. Like, I don't want a concussion. You know what I mean? There's those guys. So how do you weed out the bad cops? How do you even know they're there? How do you get those guys out or even brought it to attention? Because some of those guys can be intimidating and you don't want to speak up or you don't want to get you don't want to get uh, a double double pronged question is how do you deal with the problem of of people who maybe aren't fit to do a job and then how do you how do you set the job up in a way that weeds those people out from the start like do you think there's any improvements that can be made to maybe maybe get Mr. Steroid who choke slams a little girl not to even not to even get through the academy <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the vetting process, and again, I can only speak for California, and, you know, it's different in every state, right? But in California, the vetting process is, is pretty thorough, right? You do an extensive background investigation, you do, you know, a polygraph, you know, you do multiple interviews. And so, obviously, our intent is proper hiring procedures to get the right people in there in the first place and then hopefully in the academy you can vet them even more and if you're starting to see those problems and before they're appointed and then they have a year on and so hopefully people are vetted prior to them becoming police officers does that mean that people they get through they get through yeah absolutely it happens but you know an interesting fact for our agency is most of our internal affairs complaints are generated internally not from the public Ah. Which, for me, is awesome because that means that yeah. we know what should and should not be do- being done, and we're not afraid to bring it to somebody's attention that can do something about it. And you know, we always say the same thing: is is hey, if we don't police ourselves, yeah. somebody's going to come in and do it. Um, and so I always look at that statistic and think we're doing a good job as far as monitoring ourselves the police are self-policing which is good can you guys give that to congress yeah get that to car congress same for (laughs) 
So the making the murderer, I think it looked like it was all the way from the top down. A group of cops kind of tried to frame this guy and um, it seemed like uh, kind of they caught lightning in a bottle, I would say. It it doesn't seem like it would happen across the board, but do you think there's times when people are afraid of Afraid for their jobs, they they make one mistake and they have to make multiple mistakes to cover up that original mistake. Can they come to you and say, "Look, I made this mistake"? Is your life highly dra- dramatized, like a TV show? No. <laughs> Pretty much every day. Much every day is like no, but I mean, when you when you're making the laws, and if you make one mistake, you the, the tendency is, "I got power, I can cover this up." You see, guys trying to cover their tracks. Oh yeah, sure. Um, not as often as you'd think. Um, and kind of, you know, the whole thing with that is, is there's crimes of the mind and crimes of the heart. Um, and I think that's acknowledged, right? Is okay. I made a bad decision. I agree. I need to be disciplined, but I'm going to be honest about it. Um, you know, obviously people are much more forgiving of that than made a bad decision. Now I'm going to make a conscious effort to cover it up. Right. And tell you right now, dishonesty you lie in an IA interview, you're done. You're fired. There's absolutely no recourse. If, wow. And I don't care if you lied about something significant about the case or completely irrelevant. Um, you know, there's that's it. You're done. And so, you know, I think there's an emphasis mm. in most police agencies to make that perfectly clear that we understand mistakes are going to be made in the heat of the moment. Uh, mistakes may just be made because you didn't have enough information or whatever. Uh, yeah. But as long as you're honest about it, we can usually recover that, right? Okay. Uh, the key is to be honest, right. and I think that's kind of the emphasis that we put on it. Yeah. And a lighthearted question, but but back to a kind of a controversial question. You and I are Giants fans. How are you feeling about the 49ers these days? Yeah. Yeah. So, what is your view on like on like Colin Kaepernick's protest? Well, I'm probably I'm probably outside the norm for you know my peer group in. I'm not as quick to judge him, you know, when I kind of listen to what he had to say, uh, do I agree with everything that he's done, like the socks and stuff like that? No, yeah. I don't think name calling is, as an effective uh, means to change. Um, but you know, does he have some concerns? Yes. Does he have the ability to be able to present those on a platform to a much larger audience? Yes. Um, and is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, whether I agree or disagree with him standing for, you know, the national anthem, it's, that is his right. And, um, you know, I have a brother who's in the army and he's overseas in Afghanistan right now. Um, and so obviously that's a near and dear topic to me, but, um, at the same time, that's what makes this country great. And so, you know, it's, he, I think that, you know, he, I generally believe that he, wants to see some change is mm-hmm. he understand the entire picture i don't know um but also he's made statements that says you know hey i do support good cops um but i think something needs to be done about the bad ones and i can't say i totally disagree with him um so i don't know what do you think about santa clara pd saying they won't protect them and would like an apology i think it's disgusting wow i think that i just don't agree with that whatsoever yeah you have a an obligation, regardless. This is America. I have the right to to protest. I have the um, the right to to voice different opinions, and you may be opposed to those, um, but you have a moral obligation to you know to fulfill your duties. And 
Um, I just, I don't agree with that at all. I saw that photo of the, all the black brothers standing with the police officers in Dallas, and I thought that was pretty powerful. Did you see that photo? Yeah. I, I also saw there was, a, there was a line of police in Baltimore, and a bunch of protesters, like, stood in front of them and were, like, protecting police after the after the Dallas shootings. And Yeah, how does that make you feel when you see stuff like that? Do you feel like that's... I mean, obviously, it makes you feel good, but I mean... I think the vast majority of people, whether they are protesting it or not, it, nobody wants to see people die or be hurt. I don't... I truly believe that that's not anybody's intent. Um, I think they just... Some people want to see change, and some people want to see it more than others. But I think, you know, in the end, all people are people, and cops don't want to see protesters hurt. And I don't think protesters really, the vast majority, want to see cops hurt. Are there some that are rogue in both groups? Absolutely, sure. But I think that, you know, there's a group that feels there needs to be some change. Um, and whether you agree with it or not, they have a right to do so. And But, yeah, I mean, it obviously is very heartening to to see those types of uh, photos um, because I think it makes you feel like, okay, it's not as bad as you perceive it to be. Yeah, right? yeah. And, it, and what do you think about the media? Do you think the media is potentially like systematically trying to escalate it just to get views? I, well, I don't know. I think that's a completely different topic. But yeah. <laughs> Negative news sells, is, man. It <laughs> so. is. And, you know, I mean, you can't deny that there's a financial component to that and if it garners interest it garners interest and so yeah i mean obviously it's i don't think it's a complete 360 degree perspective of the problem um and it can sometimes be misleading but you know at the same time there's really not much you can do to control that right what what rating would you give your transparency if you could give yourself like if you if you left the job today and you said here's the transparency rating of my my division what would it what do you think you'd give it um i think i would give it high um you know we we developed a, a kind of a community outreach team uh last year and you know we really make a conscious effort to be engaged in the community um because and it's right in our mission statement. Everything we do is in partnership with the community. You know, I think that for years um, there was kind of this mentality of there's the police and there's the community. Right. And you cannot have one without the other one. The police are the community. The community are the police. And, you know, we were at a community meeting last night, and I, I voiced that exact same thing. I said, I can't do it without you. You can't do it without me. But we can do it together. And I think that's the key. And, you know, if, if you're being, you know, deceptive or trying to hide stuff, um, that's just a wrong path to go down. And there's really, there's no way to justify it. What I'm hearing from you is it's it's a lot about trust and c- connectedness, the understanding that we are all connected in, in, it's not us and the police or the police and the public. It's the police are us. The police are the public. And that's, I think if people have a, like I said, people, society are—we're dualistic. It, we have this mind, this mind of of a, a dual mindset. There's only two options: it's us and them. Or um, a lot of people are very skeptical of government. That's great, but the way they frame it is: there's us, and then the government is doing stuff to us. And I'm like, no, the government is made up of us. We elect the government. <laughs> like we can, right. we can change it if we don't want to, you know. And yeah, so. So when we focus on us being separate, I don't think I think you're right. It's more negative, and I don't think 
good things happen. And I think that's why we wanted to have a, a podcast episode with, um, with someone like you on it, because I think you understand that the more connected we are, the more we empathize with each other and realize that we're all in this together, the better outcomes we'll get. What do you encourage people to do if they're like super anti? Do you encourage them to go on ride-alongs? Do you encourage them to? I don't know. What are some things people can do if they have such a terrible to develop more feeling? empathy for police officers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, obviously, yeah. I would always, you know, encourage a ride-along. You know, we do a lot of events. You know, in the community, we do a unity in the community event where you can come out and talk to police officers. We do a lot of cops, you know, coffee with cops, um, where you can come out and talk to police officers. And I think that's it, right? Communication is the cornerstone. And so um, hmm. I think part of it is just getting a better understanding. And not only does it benefit the public, I think it benefits the officers. And, you know, we always encourage our officers to go to the community meetings as frequently as possible because that open line of communication brings us closer together. And, uh, in the end, I mean, that's it. If, you know, if we can accomplish that, then I think that we have a stronger understanding of perspectives. Um, and it helps us police better and it helps, you know, the, the community accept the police better. So is there any stories where like just a random citizen saved like you or your friend's life or something like that where they jumped <laughs> in and helped out? You know, I remember um, I had a foot chase of a suspect one time and I caught him and we were wrestling around on the ground. And um, I was on my back and I was holding on to him and my radio had been knocked loose and the citizen came running up and uh, it was all I could do to hold on to this guy. And, um, and I said, get on the radio and tell him where we are and tell him I need help. And he did. And, <laughs> and it, I mean, awesome. he, saved, he saved me 100 percent. And, and that's I mean, I've got a bunch of stories like that. And, you know, just today we had an incident where an officer was all in the crash and people ran to his aid. So. Um, I think innately people help other people right? and yeah. I've watched officers just do amazing stuff. I mean, just amazing stuff to save other people. Um, and it's funny cause whenever you, you ask them about it, you're like, you know, that was awesome. I can't believe you did that. And they're like, I, I don't know. I just did it. You know, it just happened. <laughs> it's not yeah. that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, you know, that's just human nature. That's awesome. One last thought I had, and then we can wrap it up if you want to go. But um, I think being in bands, we get this mentality of like, you know, you start signing enough autographs and suddenly you kind of feel like, oh, I'm cool. <laughs> People, you know what I mean? You kind of walk in the room and you think a little differently about yourself. People respect me. Yeah. And, and you know, we weren't the biggest bands in the world, but there were, there were times we walked into a room of 500 people and everyone knew who we were. And um, that, that's some power. Do you think that's a struggle for police officers, they put on the badge, they get the gun on the side, and they have, all of a sudden, like, they're a rock star in their own way? Uh, yeah, obviously, I think there's a transition, right, to uh, becoming a police officer, and that's that all of a sudden you tell somebody to do something, and they, they're going to do it, Yeah, right? It's, it's, a, it's a shift. But like anything else, you know, I'm sure it's much like being a rock star, right? 
at some point, um, it balances out and uh, you get perspective. Um, and the reality is it's, it's, it's a job and you have to go home to a family and you have to pay bills. Yeah. Um, and I think that novelty starts to wear off after a while. But sure, there's always a transition period. Hmm. Well, thank you, Todd, for spending some time and sharing some insights with us. It's been uh, it's been eye opening. A lot of stuff to think about, and I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this interview. So thanks a lot, man. I love it. I, I love the fact that you said that most um, people on the inside are uh, criticizing the system more than anyone on the outside. That's pretty. That's great. That's interesting. Keep it up, man. Yeah, Todd, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate it. Todd from Mall Security of America. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) Keeping the mall safe. Keeping the mall safe. Absolutely. Go Giants. All right. Go Giants. They're playing like mall security right now. They are playing like mall security. Come on, We love it. So go out and support some cops and go on a ride along. Yeah. Coffee with cops. Go go introduce yourself. Yeah. And that's what we should do, right? Say hi to your neighbors. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, you guys. Take care, man. Thank you. That was Todd Henry, Nate's cousin, um, true hero. Sounds like a really, I mean, just sounds like a really good guy and a police officer. So don't be a hater. Listen to Todd. He's got a lot of good things to say. If you guys have any questions or comments, please email us at don'temailthetrolls at gmail.com. If you found this enlightening in any way and you would like to support more programs such as this, I feel like NPR, you can support us at... Uh, patreon.com slash don't feed the trolls uh, five bucks a month um, will help us keep the lights on and help us going strong so we really appreciate all of you patrons out there and uh, stay tuned till next stay tuned for next week when we don't know what we're going to talk about but we're working on it right now we're going to talk about it really <laughs> aggressively. Yeah, and now it's off to uh, it's bedtime. Watch these kids and put them to bed. That's what we do. Put those kids to bed, baby. Thanks for listening to Don't Feed the Trolls. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. That helps us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. iTunes review. Five stars. Incredible journalism. Exactly. Leave one for Todd this week, <laughs> not for us. Leave five stars yeah, for Todd. He did a good job. He's a hero. If you find him on Twitter, give him a thumbs up. Exactly. I didn't even know he was on Twitter, so there you go. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Until next time. Bye-bye. I'm a highway patrol, a highway patrol. My hours are long and my pay is low. But I'll do my best to keep you driving slow. I'm just doing my job. I'm a highway patrol. I'm just doing my job. 